You're very welcome back to Glore, the podcast here at Aris Econolia, the James Connolly Visitor Centre on the Falls Road in Belfast. This is the first series of the podcast in 2022 and we have revamped the format slightly for the year ahead. Each series will now have a theme based on a quote of James Connolly's and we'll be asking our guests to reflect on the quote as they explore what it is that they do and what motivates them. The theme for this series is based on an 1897 piece of writing by Connolly, where he wrote, If you remove the English army tomorrow and hoist the green flag over Dublin Castle, unless you set about the organisation of the Socialist Republic, your efforts would be in vain. We're really looking forward to welcoming our guests in the year ahead and hope that you'll join us as we explore the writings of James Connolly and their relevance to us today. Colin to Fulcher Oat and Shaw Hick Arthur Connolly, you're very welcome to uh, this episode and the first in our series, new series of Glory here at RSE Connolly. First of all, if you want to tell us a wee bit about yourself, many people will know you um, as being a human rights um, expert and advocate um, and uh, lecturer at Queen's. Uh, if you want to tell us a wee bit about yourself and how you find yourself there. Guru Mayogat Clona. Delighted to be uh, speaking to you this this afternoon, and maybe just share a bit of background uh, for, for the audience. I'm a professor of human rights law at the School of Law in Queen's University, uh, Belfast. I'm a former head of school in the law school as well. I've been in academic life now for, and this gives away my age a bit. I'm <laughs> coming up to nearly thirty years in in, in academic life. But I've also, you know, I've been a human rights commissioner on the Northern Ireland Human Rights Commission um, from 2005-2011. I was involved in the Bill of Rights process here as well. And I've, you know, I've worked in England and Wales, I've worked here as well. So I've been around a bit of largely teaching and researching in the areas of constitutional law and human rights law. And you know, in addition to all the academic stuff, I suppose I've always really had a sense going back to even when I was studying myself that, you know, this is about more than just writing articles and books, that you can't really do human rights and you can't do some of this constitutional stuff without actually publicly engaging in the, the wider world. But the most important fundamental thing about me is that I'm from Derry. <laughs> right? so, and that's... Uh, that's the most significant aspect of, of my... I, I continue to be very, very proud of where I'm from. But I suppose thinking about the time that we're in now and thinking about, you know, being in Derry for, you know, the, the Bloody Sunday 50th you know, commemorations and memorial, thinking about all of that, that, you know, my background and where I'm from has really shaped, really, a lot of things I've done in my, my, li- my life. And, and that's not in a sense to retrofit your life, to some grand narrative because like everybody else my my youth was as chaotic as everybody else's so <laughs> but but I do think it, it gave me a motivation and a purpose and it really helped really to shape a lot of the things I've done around human rights and equality in particular. It's very interesting and as a proud West Belfast woman um yeah. Colin who also I, I've lived in, in various parts of the city and and um I've traveled quite a bit as well it is always interesting to me how our experiences, be they as, as children or as young people or as young adults growing up, really does influence on yeah. us. But more so, you usually don't realise it at the time. It yeah. is more so perhaps yeah. in later life yeah. or when something yeah. happens. Yeah. Um, you went into, you're, you're in human yeah. rights law now. Yeah. Was that always the plan, Colin, or was it something that sort of came about 
by accident or, or was it was it planned out? That's a good question, you know, and thinking about it now that, you know, I wasn't really, as a teenager, didn't have a master plan for life like, like everybody else. And in some senses, if you had told me then where I am now, I wouldn't have believed you, you know. So, yeah. like, the one thing for everybody to think of is you sort of find your own way. And those people tell you you have to know what you're going to do by 11, you know, tell them to wise up you know what I mean you'll, you'll find your own path but what was a big part of my life and thinking about this recently to, is I was very very engaged um, in thinking about the wider world and politics actually and that's what uh, you know that there's a lot of conversations and discussions about the world that we're living in in the 80s and 70s in Derry and you know how we got to where we got to and how you could really make a difference and I think it's that sort of purpose stuff that um, really led me to where I've ended up. When I went to university I really liked the sort of research side of things so I did a PhD. I was actually in England at the time and it was a time I ended up doing my PhD on the rights of refugees and asylum seekers because there was a you know a, a conservative government in London at the time it was treating you know migrants appallingly you know and no change there in many ways but um, and so was working in, in that area but really it was the overall thing of thinking that wanted to be engaged in and I know it's a bit of a it's a cliche thing about sort of changing the world really but I've always a strong sense that growing up my parents had who are no longer with us you know had just such a strong sense of that dairy thing that they had grown up feeling that and I know there's an element of this that you know can be caricatured and, but that they were second-class citizens and the place that they had grown up and they wanted something different from us and that sort of instilled really in a lot of what so it was almost like you were growing up that your life had a purpose like you weren't just sort of you you doing your thing but you were there and you had to make your city and community and everybody proud of you everything you'd done so no pressure, no pressure. <laughs> at all on say. that so um but i actually find that incredibly empowering you know Absolutely. that you're you're trying to make a, a difference um so i think that's been very much part of it i know many many other people really very very similar you know in terms of what they've done so it it, it is something and, and likewise when you're in those sorts of communities where i don't mean it's normal but where it's very much accepted that yeah. you you're part of that community and you form part of it and you can inform how it goes in the future um i always find that really interesting because again when you're in something you aren't always aware and it's maybe only when you reflect um but it is vitally important and um that that belief that your parents had was obviously well placed um you talked about engaging there with politics or with the media or with what was going on in the world around you um the way that we engage with things now, you know, has changed massively yeah. in say the last even yeah. four or five years. How would you have engaged? Would you um have been a big reader of newspapers? Would you have gone to talks? Would you have attended lectures outside of university? How did you engage with that world around you? Um, kind of through those years. I think the main thing growing up, like go back to dairy context, was just being obviously engaged in. The world paying attention to what was happening uh, 
around us at the time. I suppose one thing that I've thought about recently is that yeah, I, I was very, very motivated by progressive stuff, even as the I don't and I don't say that in retrospect, but I remember all the things now that people take for granted around equality and rights issues. I remember having really strong views about them when I was a teenager <laughs> and being really like, you know, in fact, I increasingly think I, I got more things right between the ages of 14 and 18 than I did in, in I've become a, but so there's that. But I suppose in, in life, really, it's through civil society organizations, primarily, you know, later on in life, NGOs, human rights organizations, you know, becoming involved, not just in academic, work but engaging with civil society organizations like just practically when I was at university left university again I was in England early 90s I remember riding around various NGOs I remember going to London to work for anti-slavery international for a bit to do stuff on overseas domestic workers who being badly treated in London and stuff and so it was I've always really tried to combine working in academic life and working with civil society organizations and NGOs and I really find that to be um, the primary vehicle, really, for um, taking forward the sort of work, really, up till today, really, and the stuff I've done, doing the Manowar in the future and other things as well, of just trying to be engaged in civil society, work with other people to be helpful or possible, really, to advance the stuff. But it, funny, it was, because it was the other day when, you know, when the Police Ombudsman report came out and these reports were emerging around the scale and extent of you know, essentially collusion in this society going back decades. Like, I do remember in the early and mid-80s, you know, it wasn't always mainstream to say these things and it wasn't always, you know, on many equality and rights issues, you know, um, but it now seems to be, it's interesting to watch, it's now becoming uh, more accepted and also that families who often were really badly treated disrespected going back decades who fought really long campaigns like it's so wonderful to see people being vindicated really yeah and, and listen to yeah. it it's, yeah. it is and um you know in, in all of the work that we do do here at yeah. the colony center um one of the things is is, is to explore kind of historical elements of, of our you know of our history of our story um but also always trying to relate that to the yeah. contemporary and and i think that's hugely important yeah. because if you're not looking at things yeah. in that context, yeah. um, they can become almost depersonalized, yeah. and, and I think that's always something that's really important yeah. to kind of keep. Bringing us to now, Colin, yeah. and, and if we kind of, you spoke there about Ireland's yeah. future and the work that yeah. you do there. Yeah. Um, the quote that I mentioned that yeah. has sort of shaped the theme of this yeah. series of glory um, of colonies, which is if you remove the English army tomorrow and hoist yeah. the green flag over Dublin Castle, and then she said about the organisation of the Socialist Republic, your efforts would be in vain. That was Connolly really laying out his aspirations for what he saw as the future. And, you know, that was almost 20 years before the Easter Rising. So it was certainly something that he had held dear for, for quite a while. This is a very change in time. Um, and I'm aware even from, you know, we'll be recording this a little bit before it goes out. There may have been more changes um, even in that short space of time. What do you see um, as your aspirations for, for the future for whatever shape um, Ireland may take? Well, I think... You know, starting point for that really is, and now we're sort of doing reflection back on the past, but I do recall, you know, reading um, Connolly, Larkin as a sort of early 20s, you know, a real sense that 
you know, all this talk about change in Ireland I had to make a difference to the most marginalised and vulnerable people. And that, in some senses, that's using slightly modernised language to describe it. But at the heart of, I think, that vision really of Ireland is of social change being intrinsic to a project of essentially liberation of the island. And that, you know, it wasn't simply a matter of just, you know, in the sort of caricature of painting the post box green, that it had to tangibly mean something for, you know, working class people on the island, but, you know, marginalised and vulnerable communities. And I find that very, very powerful personally, that sort of Connolly vision, essentially because one of the reasons that I am involved in these conversations is because I take the New Ireland stuff very seriously indeed. And I do think that if you're using that language, you really have to mean it. And that it's not just about um, just uh, getting rid of the border and same again and, and the usual, but that it is about trying to achieve some form of transformative change on the island in socioeconomic terms for people. And so I find that a very, very powerful, motivating vision and very, very inspire, inspiring, really. Um, and I think the quote really captures that. It's a sense that this has to be about more than simply um, you know, formal constitutional change. It has to embody socioeconomic transformation as well. And I suppose ultimately that's why it makes so many people on this island slightly nervous, right? Because not only is that unsettling for elements of, let's say, political unionism in the in the northern context, but you know, the in the south of the island, you know, where people have you know been in control for a very long time, um, you know, that's discomforting for for them as well. But I think ultimately. The quote is, 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 is a sort of inspirational vision, modernised to 2022, to say really th- this project has to be about socioeconomic change and, not, and also climate change and climate justice, you know, social justice, all of that, that it's about, you know, will this really be a new Ireland that emerges, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, I suppose what you're saying there is... That- I'm paraphrasing, but it's a fundamental change rather than a facade. You know, it's not a, a change in the the sort of external how it looks and, and as as the Connie said about raising the flag, it really is a fundamental change Absolutely. to how society works. Yeah. That's really interesting, um, Colin, in terms of, of of how I suppose that idea has maintained yeah. and has not yeah. aged any, yeah. um, and is certainly still relevant today. <laughs> that all said and done, and you're yeah. unfortunately a prime yeah. example yeah. of how yeah. that conversation yeah. isn't always smooth and how it yeah. can be challenging and, yeah. and certainly is challenged which is to be expected yeah. but um how have you found the conversation is supposed to develop in a more recent years um particularly if you take say in the last five years oh goodness more now yeah. since brexit and things yeah. like that how have you found those more recent developments um in terms of, of where you see the future of, of the island going what's well, a it's a great question but ultimately no change ever happens anywhere without turbulence and, and pushback. And if you look, look at some of the landmark changes, not just on the, the island of Ireland, but around the world, you know, th- there, there has always been a measure of resistance. Some of the 
central pillars of the current peace process were formidably resisted here, but yeah. people laud them all over the world and now. So ultimately, you know, yes, there there is turbulence and, and challenges in that, and there will be more of that, but ultimately that's almost like a compliment really to what is a really successful uh, growing sort of conversation on the island about change. And I think that that just needs to continue. It can't be derailed and people need not be distracted by that. So the work just needs to be done. The, the follow on from that and the Connolly Code is, that also means that if you're working on constitutional change, it's not just about a transfer of sovereignty, right? So British government transferring sovereignty. It's about making sure that equality and human rights uh, are central to the discussion about constitutional change. It's about some of the civil society organisations joining that too. And I think, like you're absolutely right, Brexit has just transformed that discussion because it just creates a big structural fault line on the island, you know? There's one bit in the EU, one bit out, and we've got an automatic way back to the EU. So it has accelerated that discussion, I think, remarkably, but ultimately, it's just about continuing with that that work. I think making sure some of the values that we're talking about here today fully inform that work as well. That that the people are better off at the far end of it. So I just, I just think, and it's like let's be clear as well. It's nothing like the level of pushback there was in the past here to some of this stuff. You know, if you look at it in a historical time frame, yeah. um, you know it's relatively mild and modest sort of uh, uh, reaction to some of this to be totally candid at the moment anyway uh, and uh, so it's just about ke- keeping uh, going really I would think yeah absolutely and and um, it's a conversation that, that that is continuing on I know um, there will be those who maybe say that it isn't um, yeah. and to those people who, who say that it isn't and who maybe are yeah. and don't maybe want to participate what would you say to them, I suppose, um, as a means of maybe trying to, to engage with them? And I know you do engage with such yeah. a wide range of people, Colin, yeah. but for people who maybe are on, on the view of pushing back, what, yeah. what would your kind of invitation be to them if, you were to, to, if they were to engage with you? I, the main thing really is that there's a collective group of work. There's a it's a sort of collective movement for change that's happening on the island and that making clear that people are open and welcome to like Ireland's future had a warm house event that had a considerable amount of interest that the invitation is there for people to participate and join that discussion but there's no pressure on people not to and the other thing to keep in mind as well about constitutional discussions is that you know, people get on with it. They might not want to. They might not actually object, to that, but they're they're doing other things. So there's 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 that component of all this, but I suppose a neglected bit of it is that you know what we're actually talking about here ultimately is sections of unionism that not only resist the discussion, but you know actively don't want it to happen or don't want the outcome to happen. I think there's an onus on unionism to do its own homework and prepare its own case. But I, I just don't think that should be a distraction for people. If you're advocating change on the island, if you want things to shift here, if you want a reunified Ireland, you just need to get on with uh, the work of preparing the manifesto or whatever it's going to be, prospectus, the document, 
um, making clear to people what that's going to look like at the far end of it. And that's the work to be done now because if you know, you're really serious that this is going to happen this decade, right? And there's an increasing view that we may, towards the end of this decade, be heading into these referendums or sooner. Then you need to get on with doing that. I think you need to get, and many people have said this, you know, just get, get ready. But you know, it's a really open invitation to people to join. Amazing project, really. That you know, we're really talking about entering an era of transformation of the island. You know, it. Like I've said it before. Now, it it's going to be a massive global good news story. Like this. Let's be clear. If this island reunifies, it'll be. People will be smiling all over the world for, you know, there'll be the, the levels of not just rhetorical support, but tangible support from the European Union internationally will be, it'll be, you know, the Good Friday Agreement was seen as a beacon of hope around the world. You know, if this island were to reunify, the reaction to that globally and the message that would send would be, you know, remarkable. And I think people just need to keep that in their minds. That's not being naive. And totally understand that there will be people who are very, very nervous about where that might end. But also have to make clear that people will be safe and secure, there'll be guarantees and assurances that this isn't about revisiting the past. Uh, this is about being generous uh, about what's on offer in the future. And uh, like nobody wants the last 100 years again. Like So we just need to learn how we don't repeat that again. I think increasingly now, like I'm getting on a bit in life, but younger generations also don't see themselves maybe in terms of my generation did. They're activists on other issues. They see the illogicality of the division on the island. It doesn't make any sense if you're trying to work on climate justice. Like, the border is completely meaningless. So, you know, that's a generation that that, that maybe um, sees this as part of, you know, just a, a relic of the past that we need to overcome, really. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. And, and um, I certainly think that that a lot more people um, with what's going on at the minute are looking to the future and, and looking to see, you know, as teenage Colin did, yeah. you know, how, yeah. how they can yeah. change the world, yeah. be that yeah. through yeah. constitutional change or societal yeah. change or yeah. climate justice yeah. or human rights. So yeah. um, I think that's yeah. I think that's a massive element yeah. Um, now yeah. it is. Yeah, well, I, I think you're absolutely right. All the polling evidence on the island is that there's a real appetite on the island for something different. I just wish all that well and find expression I'd completely see that like I just find it's remarkable what's happened on the island like, and I, I find it frustrating sometimes that there are people in the north who have this caricatured image of the rest of the island that that is a 1950s image of of of, of the island in Ireland that is just wrong you know I think it's people are in a different space but that is about the difficult process of engaging with people and you know the island is sort of not engaged really we are siloed you know the sort of that sort of free state mentality as well you know the way which is resurgent recently too um we need to talk to each other a bit more in the here and now also absolutely yeah. so um colin thank you very yeah. much for yeah. for meeting with yeah. me today yeah. really appreciate it yeah. and um all the best with with all the work that you do um yeah. and we're at Grammy to Mike. Yeah. slang of oil slang. <laughs>